Well, how many of you were here last Sunday and heard Brendan's message? Just not during attendance, but I'm kind of wondering, you know, if, if you've heard that. We've been talking a lot about this idea of what does it look like to um, really follow the Lord into situations. And Brendan used a phrase some time ago where he, he said, you know, uh, we want to follow Jesus through the doors of opportunities giving. And we've been talking a lot about not just what happens on a Sunday morning, but what happens in our Monday morning, in our Tuesday morning, in our Wednesday morning. How is Jesus leading us? And so as I was thinking this week about what he had said, I thought, you know, I want to grab hold of a, a, a huge cornerstone that Paul puts down in the book of Ephesians that's so important for us in the continuing practice of our faith. So, how many of you remember as a kid playing the game tag? Remember that? It was kind of like one of the first games you really learned to play in the neighborhood, wasn't it? So, what did you guys call? There was this place that you could go to where you were safe, where the it person couldn't get you. What did you guys call it? Home, some people call it home base. Go, the what? Leave me alone zone. That's the one. I didn't know about that. We called it home base. And so tag is, is kind of this weird game because you have someone who's it. Everyone else is out there. The goal, of course, is for the it person to get you. And the only place you're safe is home base. And then if, you, if you're just dwelling too much there, like I used to all the time, it was the old ali ali umph um, free, everybody off, right? And so, but as long as you played the game and you... And you dodged all the bullets of the it person and you stayed on home base, you're you okay. But do you remember, like I remember as a kid, I wasn't the swiftest runner and I wasn't the most agile uh, moving around. And so whenever I was off home base and out there, it was, it was an anxious moment for me. You know, it's kind of this weird mix of exhilaration and anxiety. Did that happen to you? It's kind of like you're jumpy when people are coming. Is that him? You know, and, and they, they, people would start making rules like, Mark, you can't stand so close to home base because I'd like to stand right here. Safe, you know, and do that. And as we get older, life feels a little bit like that, doesn't it? Where we, we know we're trying to go through life, get through it, but there's this weird mix of anxiety and anticipation, and we kind of wonder if we're going to get it. And many of us, as we go through those days, we wonder, like, you get down and you collapse in your bed and you go, oh, at last, it's home base. And some of us can slide off thinking already, what's going to happen in the morning as I race through this? What's going to get me? What's going to chase after me? And if you're not aware of that, you might be a little bit numb but Paul was very aware of it as he's writing this letter to these people. He's realizing that they're going through life and they need to get, get it. They need to get a clear understanding of what is the home base he's talking about. Now, the trick of finding this home base, because it, it, it's enough for us to get the home base in our heads, but there's two big challenges we have. One is we have an enemy. This, do you guys realize this, that you have a, a, a literal enemy whose job it is is to distract you and to bring separation from you and your relationship with the Lord, right? You're aware of that, right? This isn't a, like a new memo. Talk to me. 
Right. I'm glad you know there really is an enemy who's after it. But, you know, the enemy is one thing. And if the enemy doesn't get us off our home base, so to speak, he knows if he, if he leaves us alone long enough, we tend to wander off of it. So we have both things going on. The fact that this enemy is trying to lure us off and the fact that we tend to wander off. They're, they're big deals. And I want to talk with you just a little bit about this luring off that the enemy does. And as I was thinking about it, I was realizing how I used to get my sisters all the time. I have two older sisters. And, it, you know, they, growing up, they'd, they'd always tell me, we're faster than you. And as you remember my story, um, I had several people tell me that I was fat. And my mom quickly straightened me out. She said, Mark, you're not fat, you're husky. So I wasn't the swiftest person in tag. And so I, you know, I, I, I usually had to figure out how else can I, can I do this? How can I win at this game? And so I would use these tricks. Like the first one that I did to my sisters, they're both on home base. And I know they're not going to get off. You know, and you only had so many ali ali umph freeze. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll fake like I'm hurt. So I run around the corner of the house and I go, oh, ow, 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 ouch. And I'm howling and I'm beating the ground. I'm like, ah, I'm so much pain. And they're my sisters. So what are they going to do? My sister Melanie, who's firstborn, super nice. She hops off, home base, tag, you're it. And I'm up and I'm gone. Just lured them right off. Well, of course, you can only do that once, right? They don't care if I got hit by a truck. They're not getting off a home base. So you have to come up with another idea. What can I do to lure them off? So then I go, hey, you guys, mom's calling. Let's go. Step off, tag, you're it. That only works once. So you keep coming up with all these different things to disorient and pull them off of home base. It's the same strategy that the enemy uses. And my sisters would tell you, yes, he is the devil. <laughs> but if you open your Bibles to Genesis 3, I just want to go to this familiar story. And I want you to think about how the enemy works in pulling us off our home base. We're going to come back to Ephesians and we're going to tie this all together. But I want you to see something. And it happens both Old and New Testament. Now, Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So notice where he starts. He starts by creating some doubt. Like, did, did, did you hear that? Did you get that? I don't know, you know. What do you think about this? And tries to stir up some sense of unsettledness. And if you remember... If you go online and listen to Brendan's message, but one of his points was there was this kind of discontent that we carry around. And much of it has to do with the restlessness and unsettledness, some of which is going on inside of us. And when the, when the enemy is coming to Eve, he's saying, you know, did God really say that? And a lot of times in our situations, we find ourselves wondering, you know, I wonder if I really did hear the Lord. I miss God here. So he says, did God really say? And the woman wisely answers. She goes, you know what? We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you'll die. She added the touch it part. God did say, don't eat that fruit. Those two trees in there. But 
he, she puts out rightly, you'll die. Immediately the enemy goes, nah, you'll not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Now, think with me. Did not, just the chapter before, God said, let's make man and woman in our likeness? Didn't God say that? Just the chapter before. So my question is to you, are they already like God? But are they living out of it? That's the question. Are they staying on the home base of that? That's the question. And when this restlessness hits and Eve starts entertaining this idea of, oh, maybe we don't have it all. Maybe we don't have every spiritual blessing that Paul talks about in Ephesians. Maybe we really don't have it all. And you get restless and anxious and discontent. You know the rest of the story. Bam. And all of a sudden, their identity is changed. All of a sudden, their personhood is changed. And so you see how the enemy's working. Cast a little bit of doubt. Gets you thinking. Stir up some restlessness. Mm, did God really say that? No, that won't happen. You need to do something so you can make yourself something. Now go to New Testament, Matthew 4. Jesus is coming to earth. He's going to restart the earth as the second Adam. And in Matthew 4, you'll see the same thing happening. Verse 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I'll bet he was. The tempter came to him and said, get this, if you are the Son of God. Starts right away with identity. Right away. You know, if you really are. He doesn't do it just once, he does it twice. And he's hitting on this thing that's got to do with our identity. Our secure place, our safe place, our home base. Why are we who we are? It's because we're created by one. When you guys were being formed in the womb, you didn't fill out a little sheet of paper that said, I'd like to live with this family, and I would like these traits, and I would like hair that lasts my whole life. You didn't fill that out, right? Did you? If you did, talk to me after the service. Instead, the sovereign God looked at you and formed you and made you and created you with a purpose in mind, with an identity that was clear in his sovereign creational mind. He's forming you. It's core to us. When we know who we are in Christ, we're secure. When we shake up on that, we're very insecure. And Paul knows this. Now open to the book of Ephesians. He knows that this is a concern. He knows he's not addressing any specific church problem, but he's thinking about Ephesus was like New York City. It was a major port, and there was all this cosmopolitan activity. There were all these different nationalities, all these people. It was a huge hub. 
And when Paul is writing the letter to the Ephesians, he's writing in mind not just of that church, he's writing in mind of all of Christendom that's spreading. And he wants to write a letter that will get passed around. And it's like, hey, Dave, have you read Paul's latest letter? You should read this. And as, as we read the letter of Ephesians, a lot of times we'll read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and we'll come on, let's get to the good stuff. Chapter 4 tells us what to do. Chapter 5 tells us what to do. Chapter 6, how we're supposed to live. But Paul takes three solid chapters to pound into our brains and hearts who you are in Christ. It's so important because we tend to, to go a different way. And I, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Let me back it up. And if you look in, in your bulletin, there's a little note page, and you probably saw there's just one verse, and you're thinking, wow, this will be a short sermon. It never is with me. You know that. But it's, 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 it's this one introductory verse that you could read it, and you could miss the majesty and the density of it because what Paul says in this first sentence is really instructive for what he's going to say in the rest of the letter. It's not just an introductory phrase. It is a foundational phrase. So what does he say? Look what he says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. You see, he's saying, I'm Paul. I'm called to be this. Not because I decided. I didn't apply for the job. I was not interviewed. Christ Jesus made me this way. And then he says, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. It's so packed with meaning people. Especially if we're going to really live like he's called us to live, we've got to get this understanding down. Who are we in Christ? Do you realize that in the New Testament, there's only three places in the Greek New Testament where the phrase Christian is used? There are 216 times where it says in Christ. Big difference. Why does, if someone tells you something 216 times, there's something to it. And the issue is, where are you living from? Are you living from the sense of, because when you say, well, I've decided to become a Christian, there's some truth to that. But it's like the idea of, you know, I picked up this option. It's, it's kind of dependent on me. It's I'm going to do my best to follow. It's got a lot to do with what I can and can't do. But when you read Paul's letter in Ephesians, he says, no, you are in Christ. And in him, if you read the chapter, there's all these places that explode. In him, you have every spiritual blessing. In him, you are chose. In him, you're loved. In him, you are adopted. In him, he's freely given you everything you need. In him, you have redemption. In him, you have forgiveness. In him, in him, in him. And the question is, do we live out of that? So what Paul says in this beginning thing, he says, Paul. Now, who was Paul previous? Saul. He's not using that name anymore. Why? He has a new identity in Christ. He's not the Saul who was breaking into Christians' homes and dragging them to jail, destroying their property. He's different. But why is he different? 
Because he's in Christ. Jesus did something. I mean, this guy's literally on his high horse, beating up Christians, trying to single-handedly stop the flow of Christendom. When the light hits him on the Damascus Road, he says, Hey, why are you persecuting me? He has this encounter with Jesus. And all of a sudden, this madman who takes pride in beating up Christians and persecuting them is now Paul, the apostle. And when you read in Acts, they were a little nervous about when this guy starts showing up to meetings. Like, is he taking notes and names? Oh, I see Katie there. Yeah, I see Dave. I see Brian. Building a list for his next raid. But you see, when you meet Jesus and you're in him, you take a new name. Brendan and Shannon and Gracie were over at the house last night. And so we were eating some hamburgers. And, of course, my wife had to bring out the scrapbooks. That's terrible. Brendan had a good time laughing at it. He goes, man, you have hair. Yes. It didn't always look like this. But as they were paging through it, um, Shan really noticed this. Because Betsy had this book that she had made for my 40th birthday. And it's got kind of these pictures. Uh, Pictures of me when I was in high school, then college, and just out of college, but all before I was a believer. And I look like death warmed over, don't I? Brandon, you can be honest. Tell them. I mean, it's, it, it's like, yeah, who is this guy? And I, and I was a rough cowboy. And then Shan turns the page to when I had met the Lord, and now I'm in Christ. She goes, wow. It's like someone had flipped on a thousand-watt thing. Now, I didn't do that. I didn't, some, I didn't on October 17th, 19th, decide that day that, you know what, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. It's about time that I start behaving myself. I'm going to stop being nasty. I didn't do that. What happened was Jesus did it. And my identity, all of a sudden, that old mark is gone and there's a new mark. That's why those students were saying, did you shave off your beard? I never had a beard. But really, I looked like death warmed over, and all of a sudden, there's new life. But I didn't do that. Jesus did. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say, you know, I was trying to quit my addictions. I couldn't quit my addictions. And then at that moment, they're done. I didn't have the same cravings. I didn't do that. Jesus did that. And so you've got to read in this Ephesians letter, and it, it's packed especially the first three chapters, read what God has done. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. How? To be holy and blameless in his sight. He did it. I didn't do it. He did it. He's still doing it. He's still working. And so Paul is saying, I'm not Saul. I'm Paul because of what he did. And my place in the body is I'm an apostle. I didn't sign. I didn't go through an interview process. I didn't go on monster.com and apply for being an apostle of Jesus. He did it. And here's what's really important. Here's what we need to hear. He goes on to say, to the saints. Do you realize that you're saints? How often when someone asks you, like someone's asked you, Matt, Matt, who are you? Do you ever go, I'm Saint Matt? Or will, do you ever do that? I'm St. William. But we should. 
I mean, it's kind of a weird world, uh, word, isn't it? Because we, we usually think of, of kind of the, the, the more traditional, organized church structures that do this sainthood, which is interesting. I mean, first of all, in order to be a saint, you have to die. Anybody up for that? And then after you die, then there has to be some miracles associated with your name. And you go through this whole order and then you become a saint. But literally what Paul is saying is that if you and I are in Christ, you are a saint. You are. It's not what you did. It's what he did. So go ahead and blow your neighbor's minds. Introduce yourself in a new way. I'm Saint Mark. But you are your saints, do you see? But it's hard for us to really believe that because we think, well, Mark, you don't, I mean, I've got problems. I've got issues. I'd be like, yeah, I got my own set of problems and issues too. It's not pendant on me. It's pendant on Christ and his work in me. Now, I do need to let him drive. I do need to let him do his work. But the reality is I can't make myself a saint. He can. I once was this way. Now I'm this way. It's why people go, are you really a pastor? I go back to my hometown. They always ask me that. For real? Like, what kind of church is it? <laughs> they want to come check you all out. Like, why are you hanging out with it? You know who this guy is? I'm not that way. I'm not that, Mark. I'm this Mark. Because Jesus did a work. And now I need to live out of that relationship. And I need to, to live out of that position. It's this, it's this idea of, where, where do I rest myself? You ever have a day when someone's mad at you and they, they call you a name? Like I, I've, had, I've had times where, and I, and I always tell traffic stories on me because I do try to behave, but Jesus still has some work to do in me, you know? And it was one thing when I was in the Yaris because the Yaris doesn't have much for horsepower. Now I'm in a Subaru. I got all-wheel drive, you know, and so sometimes, you know, someone will, cut, you know, cut in or cut me off. Or the latest thing that, that people like to do is they like to do the drift and flick. You know what I'm talking about? They're all, you're already three quarters away in front of me. You don't need to announce that you're going to move there now. But they, they do the drift and then they flick. You know what I'm talking about? Man, the patience Jesus is getting out of that in me. And... And so, in that moment, though, there are times where, you know, I, 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 I do, there's a little bit of Mario Andretti in me someplace, I guess. And so, I, I just feel the need to kind of recenter myself in the lane. I don't do anything like overtly mean-spirited because I'm a pastor and I'm a nice guy, but I'm going to get him behind me, you know. And so, I've had those moments where someone will tell me I'm number one. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, okay, okay. Don't want to elaborate too much on this. But then I feel bad. I feel bad out of that experience. It's like, oh, oh. They're not like pointing to Jesus. You know, they're saying something about me. And it's so easy to kind of slide off in that and take that onto my identity. Do you know what I mean? Or someone says something mean to you or they don't notice you, or they don't say, or you don't get the promotion, or you get passed over. There's all these different things. And it comes to us, 
And in that moment, we have to discipline ourselves to sit down in the truth of what he says about me. Right? It's what he says. He says I'm a saint. And as I trust him to, do, to develop and, 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 and work in me, I, I got to settle in it. But if I sit down in the seat where I feel like, no, I'm a jerk, and that person just confirmed it, I'm not going to get the traction I need to keep following Jesus. Do you see that? Because not only does it disconnect me with others, it disconnects me with the most important person, Jesus, my source. Do you know what I mean? Because when you do something wrong, when you say those words you're not supposed to say or you do the thing you're not supposed to do, do you feel like running right to Jesus? I'm talking to you. Talk to me. We don't, do we? We hang our head in shame and we cut ourselves off. When we do that, all of a sudden, now we're off home base. We're not where we need to be. We're not in Christ. We're in something else. We're not resting in what he's done and accomplished for us. And we wander from home base. And the enemy has so much latitude then, doesn't he? So I want to explain this a little bit more because I think it's a huge problem. When this thing is going on, we tend, here's, here's the reality. This is the gospel reality. The first thing that happens to us when we're called into the kingdom is we're, we, we belong. Jesus says, come, Brendan, come. He invites us in. So the first thing you do is belong. And then he begins to work on our beliefs, which changes our behavior. Now, even right now, some of you are starting to wrestle with that. Like, really? I thought we were supposed to get our behaviors right, and then our beliefs will get right, and then we can finally belong. But the way the gospel works is that Jesus says, Come, follow me, and who will make? Who's I? Jesus. Then say, Mark, come follow me. And I'm going to give you a big to-do list, and you better get it done. And you got a lot of work to do, fella. He doesn't say that, does he? Come, belong. And when you belong, all of a sudden then, you're going to begin to believe. And as you believe, your behavior is naturally going to change. If you love me, you will obey me. That's the axiom. If you love me, he says in John, you will obey me. But when I was a sinner... October 17th, 1980, believe you me, I knew I was a troubled guy. I've told you about the trouble I had. I told you about the struggles. And when I prayed that prayer to give my life and put it in Christ, I stayed up the entire night confessing my sins and took it. I had a lot of closet cleaning to do. Just say, Lord, take this. Lord, take that. It was so easy when I started to believe I needed to trust him to be my righteousness, to be the one who I seat my identity in. Is it getting hot in here, you guys, or is it me? Want me to turn on the air conditioning? All right, I'm getting. I always look at the ladies because, man, if the ladies say put the air on, I'm like, all right, let's do this. Here we go. We're going to kick on some AC. Matt's got that side too. Minnesota, what do you do? Don't worry, we're not taking off, folks. That's just the air conditioning. Now, 
Here's what I'm concerned about, though. And I think Paul's concerned about this, too, because he's not writing to new Christians. He's writing to an established church. And he's saying to them that you need to have your faith always rooted in him. And that faith looks like first you belong, then he works on your beliefs, and then he changes your behavior. But you see, that was easy for me in the first year. I was completely unchurched. I was always nervous when I went into church that first year. I fully expected Pastor Gary to call me out in the service and begin rebuking me for all my sin, which is so obviously written on my forehead, which has gotten bigger over the years, which could be a problem. And I didn't really know. I didn't know, the, I didn't know how to speak Christianese. I didn't, it was all different to me. And, and so that was really tough. And it was always easy for me in that first year to just say, you know, Jesus called me. I didn't pick him. He picked me. And, and, and he's going to help me with this. And so I was just trusting the Lord. It was easy in that first year. But not long after that, I started to get some of my Christian verbiage down and some of my skill set down. And I said, yeah, I know this song. I could sing this out looking at the overhead. I must be super spiritual, you know. And I got routine. And when that happened, something very dangerous happened. I began to wander off of home base. And when I would read Scripture, like when I would skip to Ephesians 4, like here, listen to this, you guys. Here's a whammy. Buckle up. Everyone have their seatbelts on? You ready? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Oh, our kids love that verse. But can, can we really do that with perfection apart from Jesus? No chance. But you see, I would read it and I'd wander from home base and I'd think, that's what I have to do. And I'd get that furrow look in your eye and it looks like, all right, man, today there's no unwholesome talk coming out of this mouth. You know, I think somehow I could muster it. But you can't. I can't. It's got to be rooted and, and grounded in Him. He can through me. I can't. If you leave Mark Spencer alone, unwholesome talk's going to come out. I'm not going to be talking about what you need. I'm going to talk about what I need. Right? That's just one of the commands that Paul gives as you're going out this, but it's all rooted and grounded in chapter 1, 2, and 3. Be in Him. And you see, what happens to us as believers is we wander off thinking we can do it, and then we wonder why Christianity doesn't work. Why isn't this easier? Why isn't my life going better? Why are my relationships happier? Why isn't this not really working for me? Well, it's because you're sitting in the wrong seat. You're in you, not him. Am I the only one doing this? And it's so tempting, isn't it? It's, it's tempting. It's, it's, it's out of our own earnest desire to do the right thing, but we can't possibly do it apart from him. That's how Jesus says it. Hey, guys, apart from me, you can do Zippo. And we tend to get the book down and we think, oh, no, I can handle it, Jesus. Just let me at that unwholesome talk. I'll rock the unwholesome talk. And when that happens, there's this cycle. Mark, if you can help me by posting this up. We think, see, if you see obey down there, we think if we get our obedience down real good, I feel super close to the Father. Oh, I'm doing it great. 
I didn't let any unwholesome words come out of my mouth in the last three minutes. Woo! I'm scoring big. I must really be connected to the Father. But it's, it's by my own blood, sweat, and tears. It's not grace. It's Mark. It's wrong to think that somehow we can obey our way to God. And it happens so subtly to us as believers, doesn't it? And Paul says to these folks, be in him, in him, your faith in him. Because this is how it's supposed to look. The Father gives us our identity. You're not Saul. I made you to be Paul. You're not Simon. You're Peter. You're not blah Mark. You're Pastor Mark. And I need to set in him. Do you see that? Do you see how tempting it is to wander off from that? And we keep, when that happens, you get this distressed feeling, this discontent thing. We keep looking like there's something more. There must be something more. But we've wandered from home base. That's what's happened. Talk to me, church, right? You hear me? This is why Paul, he's, he's saying... I'm not going to get to the commands that are going to come through my letter yet because otherwise you guys are going to take that last part of the letter as a big to-do list and you're going to run yourself right into religion. And I don't want that. And Jesus doesn't want that. And the biggest problem is in your life right now, if you are feeling like your Christianity is working, I think it's probably associated somehow to the fact you've left You've left home base. Either you've let the enemy steal your identity or you forfeited it by wandering. Paul says, be in Jesus. That's where it's got. What does God say about me? And I work from that place. And so today I declare over that you are in Christ. Not because of you, because of him. You are adopted in his family, not because you filled out adoption papers or you look like the sad puppy in the glass bubble and just said, please. It wasn't that. Before the foundation of the earth, he chose you. You, you, I'm picking you, you, you. Yep, you're in my book. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, yep. And all my high school classmates, even Spencer got in? Yep. And I do that to showcase my love, says God. He did it. I didn't do it. He did it for you. You didn't do it. He chose you. He adopted you. He made you his family. Are you living in that? Or are you living in a place where the enemy is stealing away bits and pieces, convincing that, ah, maybe I'm a second-class citizen. Ah, maybe I'm not. Maybe I don't have this right. You've got to guard it. You've got to shield it. And Paul says the first three chapters, people, you've got to root your life in him. I'll close with this story. John Orprick has a friend who decided to change his name. He liked his first name. He liked his last name. But he wanted to change his middle name. And so he began the process. And it's an involved process to legally change your name. If you've ever done it, it takes a lot of paperwork. It takes some appearances and court, but he wanted to change it. And here's why. 
Most of his life, he said, I I lived like this compliant, middle-of-the-road, play-it-safe kind of person. And now in Jesus, I know that he wants me to live more dangerously. He wants me to get outside my comfort zone. He wants me to follow him into places that I wouldn't go, but he'll go. And so what he wanted to change his middle name to was danger. Isn't that wild? How many of you thought about changing your middle name to danger? And this guy is a trip. So anyhow, he fills out the legal paperwork. He goes to court a number of times. And then he's got one more court appearance to make to get his name changed. In one of the cases right before him, there's two parties suing each other. So they don't like each other, right? And it gets absolutely out of hand into a, into a full-blown uh, brawl in the courtroom. So much so they got the police running in. They break it up. They escort these two groups out the courtroom. And then he walks in to get his uh, name legally changed to so-and-so, danger, whatever. (laughs) And it's final. And as he's walking out with his new name and his papers in hand, the bailiff stops him and says this, Be careful because those two groups who got kicked out of here are still fighting in the parking lot. It's dangerous out there. And he knew that this was a -a once-in-the-life opportunity for him. And he showed the bailiff his paperwork and his new name. And he said, it's okay. Danger is my middle name. (laughs) It's all right. I got this. Pure and simple. What God wants us to get settled in our heart and mind is you've got a new name. You've got a place. It's a name given to you. It's not Saul. It's Paul. It's a new creature in Christ. And it's so important that we live out of that because much of our discontent and unsettledness flows from a place where we've lost our identity. And that's why Paul pounds on it in the book of Ephesians. And that's why we need to let that soak in so that that firm rootedness in him is ours and we live out of our new identity. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we prepare our hearts for the offering this morning, we also need to prepare our hearts in a way where we open up to you and we say you as our creator, you as our savior, you you want to communicate in a deep way. If, If we've wandered from the identity you have for us, draw us back. If we've surrendered it and the enemy has tricked us, Lord, free us. And I pray that as we do this offering, we wouldn't just give our tithes and offerings, but we'd also give over where we might have been tricked, where we might be off base, so to speak. And that as we do that, that you, God, would speak to our hearts and remind us of who we are in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.